Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. As you are taking your seats, if you will get out your Bibles and turn your focus to John in the 8th chapter where we will continue our study through the Gospel of John and we are going to finish up chapter 8 today. And in finishing up chapter 8, we are going to dive into a message that I understand in our society is not a very popular message. I understand that in our so-called Christian culture, this will not be a popular message, but I didn't invent it. I am just going to repeat what we see Jesus teach and say today. John chapter 8, verses 48 through 58, we will be looking at a message entitled, Rediscovering the Confrontational Jesus. Rediscovering the Confrontational Jesus. Some would say at the mere sound of that term, confrontational Jesus, that they would have a problem. In fact, the world usually responds like this when they hear those things. That's not the Jesus that I know, to which I say exactly. That's not the Jesus that you know because you have been sold a false Jesus who is not the Jesus of the Bible. And any Jesus who is not consistent with the Jesus of the Bible is a false Jesus. And so as we look at this today, we're going to see the true Jesus. We're going to see as we look at the true Jesus, He is very confrontational in what He is going to say and do today. In fact, many people in our day cannot believe at all that Jesus would ever be confrontational. Because they want to believe in the Jesus who would never confront wrongs of any kind. The Jesus who would never call anyone out on any issue. They they want to believe in the Jesus who is love and peace and worldly happiness. and, And can we all just get along? That is the Jesus that they desire to believe in. They forget the Jesus who said this, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And I came to cause division. And so please understand that, that Jesus, when He came to this earth, though He is the Prince of Peace, when He came in His first advent, He came to bring division. He is going to divide light and dark. He's going to divide the sheep from the goats. He's going to divide the unbelievers from the true believers. He is going to divide the wheats from the tare. And one day at His second advent, at His return, He will establish peace once and for all. But we know this, that Jesus here in the Bible that we see in the Scriptures is a confrontational Jesus. A confrontational Jesus that many people don't even like to entertain the thought of. And the reason is that I fear is because so many people are content with believing in the Americanized, American-made, false Jesus. The Jesus who would never stir up any kind of confrontation or controversy. And I say this to you today, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. 
In fact, A.W. Pink said it like this. He said, how entirely different is the God of the Holy Writ? The Holy Writ is the Bible, the Scripture. He says, how entirely different is the God of the Holy Writ from the fictitious one of the sentimental dreamers of this effeminate age? How different is he? The Jesus that people claim to know and follow is not consistent with the Jesus that we find in the Scriptures. And this is a problem. And so what we will do today as we look at John chapter 8, verses 48 through 58, we will rediscover the confrontational Jesus. Let's look at that together, verse 48, as we read the text in its entirety. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, reading their minds, knowing that they think that he is seeking glory just for himself. He says, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so, so did all the prophets. Who do you think you are? Interesting question to ask the Holy One. And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. I want us to look at this today because I want you to see that Jesus here at the end of this long discourse that began at the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. We see that this has been going on and on and on, and here we are approaching chapter 9 here in John's Gospel, and this is about to come to a head. And Jesus is going to confront these unbelieving Pharisees with some truth, some truths that they cannot endure or swallow. But nevertheless, He is going to confront them Erasing all of the false ideology that Jesus would never confront an issue. Jesus is going to confront an issue head on. And the issue is their unbelief. Jesus is going to confront it. And he's going to do it in a way that only Jesus can. The first thing that he does, if you're writing notes, take this. Write this down. Jesus confronts them by first countering their untruths. By countering their untruths, we're going to see this in verses 48 through 51. Jesus is not going to impotently stand by as these unbelievers make false accusations. Isn't that what the unbelieving world wants us to do? 
They want us to stand by why they make false accusations about the Bible and false accusations about Jesus Christ and false accusations about what we believe and what the Scriptures say. He's not going to stand by weak and powerless. In fact, he's going to counter their untruths. And he confronts their untruths and counters them the only way you can. The only way that you can counter an untruth is with a truth. And he is going to do this. He is going to give us the example of countering untruth with truth. And he is not afraid, I assure you of this, that he might offend anyone in the crowd. He knows that the only way to cancel out a lie is truth. And these people have bought into a lie. In fact, they have bought into many lies from the enemy. They have bought into these lies, and Jesus is going to let them know this. How does he do this? How do we properly counter the untruths of the unbelieving lost world? How do we do this? The first thing that he does, write it down, by exposing the lies they believed. They believed Jesus was a worthless Samaritan. That's the first thing that they start out with there in 48 in their name calling. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan? If you've done any research at all, for a Jew to be called a Samaritan is a grave insult. And they are insulting Jesus. How immature of them to resort to name calling, but that's what they do. Isn't that what unbelieving liberals always do? They resort to name calling, right? When you speak truth, they say, no, that's hate. No, absolutely not. I'm speaking truth. It has nothing to do with love or hate. It has to do with truth or untruth. It is darkness and light. It has nothing to do with hatred or love. In fact, we'll, we'll testify to this as we grow older. I assure you, those who really love us tell us the truth. And Jesus is here telling them the truth. He's telling them the truth because they have believed lies. He said, aren't, you, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Watch what Jesus does. He doesn't get in an argument with them. He doesn't debate with them. He simply answers their lies with truth. Watch what he says. I am not possessed by a demon. Jesus didn't even try to pick a fight. All he did was say, yeah, those are lies. Here's truth. You say I'm possessed by a demon. Here's the truth. No, I'm not. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not possessed by a demon. I am not seeking glory for myself. Why? He knew their heart. He knew that they thought that he was seeking glory only for himself. He's already told them, I am seeking to do the will of the Father. I'm here for the Father's glory. He's letting them know. Verse 51, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. First, he exposes the lies that they believed. They believed that he was useless. He was a useless Samaritan. He said, it's not true. They knew that that wasn't true. In fact, they had accused him of being the son of Mary and Joseph in previous chapters, knowing that Mary and Joseph resided in Nazareth. But here they are, calling him ugly names, resorting to insults. They said, you're a Samaritan. 
They know full well that he wasn't, and he makes that clear. They said, you're demon-possessed. They believe Jesus was possessed by a demon, showing again their hatred for him. How is that hatred for him? Because their mouth began to spew. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, as he's confronting the Pharisees on another occasion, he says, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's simply saying to them, you are insulting me and you are calling me demon-possessed because you do not know the truth. I am not what you say that I am. And we must expose lies with the obvious thing that exposes lies, the truth. Here is the truth. Jesus takes the truth. They said, you're a demon. He says, no, I'm not. They in their minds thought he's seeking his own glory. He says, no, I'm seeking to glorify the Father who sent me, just as he has said all along. So we see his countering of their untruths is marked by exposing the lies that they believe. Secondly, it's marked by this. Watch what he does next. By explaining the gospel. Verse 51, Jesus not only in the first verses exposes the lies that they believe, he then explains the gospel again to them. And let me remind you, this is not the first time that he has spoken to them about eternal life and belief in him leading to eternal life. But watch what he says in verse 51. In verse 51, he says, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about some type of Earned justification through obedience? Absolutely not. That would not be consistent with anything that he taught or anything that anyone in the New Testament taught. What is the word that he is speaking of? If anyone keeps my word. Well, what was the word of Christ when he hit the scene? We can go back and we can look in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Here's the word of Christ. The word of Christ that leads us to eternal life. Here's what he said after John was put in prison, talking about John the Baptist. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. That is the euangelion. That is what we know as the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. And here is the word of Christ. If you want eternal life, here's the key. He says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. That is exactly what Jesus is saying here to them and teaching them once again in verse 51 of how to have eternal life. He says, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Repent and believe, and you will receive eternal life. John chapter 6, when we were there, we see Jesus teaching this again about his word and what that actually says. Verse 35, Jesus declared in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He was talking about spiritual hunger. He says, he who goes, comes to me will never be spiritually hungry again. And he who believes in me will never be spiritually thirsty again. But as I told you, he says, you have seen me and still you do not believe. Talking to these Pharisees who would not believe. He's saying, I am the bread and if you eat from me, you will never spiritually hunger again. If you drink from me, you will never spiritually thirst again. I am the key to eternal life. Yet they did not believe. But he still continued to share the gospel with them. Chapter 7, we see this again. Verse 37. Speaking to the same crowd. On the last day 
And greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That verse goes on to tell us those who receive that living water, that is the Holy Spirit who indwells true believers. And Jesus is saying to them, if you want to know the truth, the truth is in me. That truth will expose you to the deceit of your sin and the wickedness of your heart and rivers of living water will then flow through you from the Holy Spirit. Those rivers of living water, as they run through, assure you of this, you shall never die. Why? Because the promise is eternal life. He explained what it takes to be saved in his words. He said, if you keep my word. He went on to say in chapter 8, verse 12, we were just there not too long ago. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus sure uses the promise of life a lot to those who will believe and follow him. Luke chapter 9. Some came to him and they asked, what must we do to follow you? What, what, What do we have to do? Verse 23. He said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He's talking about repentance and faith. You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self or his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. And he says, if any man on this earth is ashamed of Christ and will not repent and believe on him, if he is ashamed of Christ on this earth, Christ will be ashamed of him at his second coming when he appears again on this earth in full glory. Jesus is confronting their unbelief here, by countering their untruths, exposing the lies that they believe, and then explaining the gospel to them. Isn't that how we should approach the untruths that we hear the lost world spewing? Explain to them, no, that's not the truth. That is a lie. And the truth is the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to point to you the good news of Jesus Christ, and he explains to them, The way to eternal life. That is the good news. Why? Because the bad news is this. You would have suffered eternal death in hell without Jesus Christ. He's explaining to them, the only way for you to avoid eternal death is to receive eternal life by repentance and faith in Christ Jesus as Lord. He explained what it takes to be saved, and then he explained what salvation promises those who are saved. He said, you will never see death. Oh, what a promise. Never see death. I don't know about you, but I can answer for myself. My greatest fear in my humanity is death. In fact, if we all wanted to get real and we all wanted to get honest, that is all of our greatest fears. And look how gracious and kind our Heavenly Father is to send His Son to relieve us of our greatest fear. He says, if you believe in me, John chapter 11, we'll get there soon. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll never die. What a promise. He's explaining the gospel one more time to these people. Right before in their wicked hearts, they pick up stones to kill him. 
And he still takes the time, one more time, to show them the way to eternal life. And he countered the untruths that they were believing once again with the absolute truth of the Word of God, the absolute truth of the gospel. And so for all the people who think that Jesus is not confrontational, he here confronts these religious Pharisees by countering their untruth. By countering their untruth. Secondly, we see this in verse 52. Not only does he confront them by countering their untruth, he confronts them by calling out their unbelief. He is going to call out their unbelief, and he's not going to make any apology for it. Look at verse 52. At this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Jesus promises them eternal life, and they say, You promising us eternal life proves that you're demon-possessed. Verse 53, they said, Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, just simply answering their question, they asked, who do you think you are? He's going to tell them exactly who he is. And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. Though you do not know him, I know him know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Look what Jesus does there. They come at Jesus claiming that he is demon possessed and that it's proven because he promises eternal life to all who will believe in him. And Jesus simply comes back and says this, I'm just doing the will of my father to bring my father glory And you claim that he's your God, but he's not. You don't really know him. He says, but I do. And if I said that I didn't, I would be a liar just like you. Just like you. But Jesus says, I'm not. I'm not a liar like you. I do know him. And I keep his word. He calls out their unbelief. And their unbelief is marked, write this down, by an obvious deficiency of faith. They have a deficiency of faith. We saw that in verses 52 through the first part of 55. When it says, though you do not know Him. They have no intimate connection to God. They know of God. But that word know Him is an intimate word. They don't intimately know God. They just have a claim. In fact, all they have is an empty claim. It is deficient of real, true Saving faith. And unfortunately, we live in a day and time where the church has accepted empty claims that don't result in true saving faith. Here these Pharisees are, claiming to know God, and Jesus says, no, you don't. It's just a claim. It's just a claim that unfortunately many will settle for. Empty professions. Empty professions instead of true life saving, life-changing faith in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul speaks of this, verse 19 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from sin. Jesus was saying to this group of people, you say that you know me, but you don't. And the reason that I know that you don't is because you have not turned away from sin. You do not have real faith. How did he know that they hadn't turned away from sin? He knows what they are plotting in their hearts. He knows that in just a few minutes they are going to pick up stones and attempt to murder him for committing blasphemy. He knows this. He's letting them know your faith is deficient. You have no real faith at all. Aren't you thankful that Jesus points out the fact that some have a false assurance and they have a deficiency of faith? How does He do this? Because He knows His sheep. John chapter 10 tells us, and His sheep know Him and they obey. I remember in my life when I was saved, I was in church thinking that I was saved because I had prayed a little prayer and walked an aisle and done what someone else told me to do, not being moved by God at all. Totally unregenerated. Living a life of sin. And I remember when Jesus called me out on my deficiency of faith. I had no true saving faith. I had a little intellectual knowledge. But you know what I would have done with that intellectual knowledge? I would have taken that intellectual knowledge with me all the way to hell where I would have perished for all eternity holding on to false assurance. Jesus is calling them out on their unbelief. Before you get mad at Jesus, perhaps today He would graciously call some of you out on your unbelief. The fact that you have false assurance because someone lied to you about what the true gospel is. And you walked an aisle and you prayed a prayer and maybe you got baptized at some point in time. Maybe you've even taken communion. But none of those things will save you. It is only faith in Christ that justifies the sinner. Perhaps today He would graciously show you the deficiency of your faith. Well, I guarantee you, you wouldn't be upset with Jesus if He confronted you on that issue today and called you out, saving you from your wretchedness and your sin. But not only did He call out their deficiency of faith, He then spoke of their disobedience to God's Word. Their disobedience to God's Word. The the second part of 55 says this. He says, I know Him and... if I, if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know Him. And I keep His Word. I know Him, and I keep His Word. Jesus does something here. Jesus compares the fact that He tells the truth, and that these unbelievers are liars. Because unbelievers, the evidence in their life and the fruit in their life is sin. Jesus is saying, I don't have that fruit in my life. I have truth in my life. That is my fruit. But your fruit is the fact that you are a liar. That's your fruit. And all unbelievers are bearing bad fruit because you cannot bear good fruit apart from Christ. Jesus then goes on to compare the fact that He obeys God to the fact that they disobey God. They had zero fruit of true obedience toward God. In John chapter 14, we will talk more about this when we get there. I'll give you a precursor to John 14. Verse 23 says, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. 
These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus is reiterating a fact here. A true believer will have a life that is driven by obedience to God in Christ. Jesus boldly calls them out on their lies and their disobedience. Perhaps he would call some of you out today who claim to know Christ, but your life shows that you are lying. Jesus is not afraid to call you out about that. Thankfully, he is not. As I have already shared at one time in my life, I believed a lie. I thought that I was okay based on something that I did. And it wasn't until later that I realized it's not something that I do, but it's something that Christ did for me. That it is by grace that I have been saved through faith. That it is a gift of God and not of works so that no man can boast. But many people are deceived into thinking that they truly have faith. And Jesus says to you, if you had faith, it would be marked by obedience to my word. Now, many people at that point stop and they say, well, Kirk, are you talking about justification by obedience? Absolutely not. I'm talking about sanctification because you're justified. Because a holy God still commands that we, his people, be holy for our Lord, our God is holy. We still read in the New Testament that he is raising up for himself a chosen and royal priesthood, a holy people. Although we're not really concerned about holiness in the modern American church. Because if you preach holiness, our lives may have to change. We don't want our lives to change. We want our lives to stay exactly the same. We want to talk the way that we've always talked. We want to do the things that we always do. We want to participate in the things that we always participate in. And then in the end, we want heaven too. It doesn't work like that. How do I know that it doesn't work like that? Because the confrontational Jesus that everyone wants to erase says that it doesn't work like that. He says that it doesn't work like that. And because he says that it doesn't work like that, you can know it doesn't work like that. I get it. You don't uh, become popular preaching these sorts of things. In fact, if you preach holy living and righteousness for the Christian in our day and time... And that being evidence of true conversion, that being evidence of true sanctification, when you preach those things, what happens is all of a sudden people rise up. Everybody becomes a Bible scholar, and they all label you legalistic. (laughs) You're just being legalistic. I assure you of this, I'm not being legalistic when I tell you God requires holiness from His people. In fact, that is the very reason that Jesus died. That very reason was because you could not be holy on your own and His holiness, His righteousness has been imputed to you so that you can be accepted by a holy God who requires perfection. Well, that's legalism. No, legalism is when I tell you you have to obey the Ten Commandments. And if you obey the Ten Commandments, then if you get them all right, then you're saved. But if you don't, you're in big trouble. That's legalism. And I can assure you of this, you'll never attain righteousness by the law. Because there is a righteousness from God that comes not from the law, but comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is true righteousness for all those who will believe. And if you have truly been made righteous in Christ, your life will show that. In fact, James, the brother of Christ, in his epistle, he says it like this. He tells us that Faith 
without obedient works is dead faith. It's not really even faith at all. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is calling out their unbelief. Marked by the deficiency of their faith. Marked by their disobedience to God's word. He says this is evidence that I know what I'm talking about. The third thing that we see as we rediscover the confrontational Jesus is this. Thirdly in verses 56 through 59... Jesus confronts them and their unbelief by confirming His undeniable deity. Jesus reminds them again that He is God. He knew that they hated this teaching. He knew that they hated this truth. This is not the first time that He's going to teach them this. He has known that this is the reason that they desire to kill Him. And He knows that it will eventually lead to his death according to the plan of God. But he doesn't stop preaching it. He doesn't stop preaching that he is truly God. Look at verse 56. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And Jesus let them know, I know a little more about Abraham than you do. Abraham was a friend of mine. Isn't that what Scripture says? That Abraham was a friend of God? He says, I know a little about Abraham myself. And Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And he saw it and was glad. And they say this because they are obviously great mathematicians. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. What was he saying? He was saying what we've seen him say over and over and over again. I am the I am. I am God. But before he gets to that, he uses the testimony of Abraham to knock their socks off. To tell them that I knew Abraham before Abraham was ever even born. I am an all-knowing, sovereign God over all things. I have always existed. He's letting them know again, I am God. Through the testimony of Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us this in verse 13. All these people, this is talking about the patriarchs, the saints of old. He says all these people were still living by faith when they died. And they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. He's talking about the patriarchs who believed in the Christ from the other side of the cross. We believe in Christ from this side of the atonement. They believed in Christ from the atonement that was to come. And they were justified by Christ just like us. How do you know that? No one will be justified any other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father. Not of the Old Testament, not of the New Testament, not ever. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, how did this happen? Galatians chapter 3 tells us this, verse 8. It says, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Did you know this? God preached the gospel to Abraham in advance. The great I am enlightened him to the truth of the gospel. He preached the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. 
Did you know this? The blessing of Abraham? You can run it from Isaac all the way to Jesus Christ, just as God revealed to Abraham that it would be. And Abraham, from this side of the sacrifice, longed for the day that the Christ would be born and that the Christ would be sacrificed so that God's people could be brought into God's fold, completely cleansed and forgiven of all of their sin. So through the testimony of Abraham, Jesus again confirms his undeniable deity. But also through the truth of his own eternality. He says this, he says, I tell you the truth. When Jesus says, I tell you the truth, people, listen up. He can do nothing but tell the truth. In fact, he cannot lie. And he says, I tell the truth. I tell you the truth, he said, before Abraham was. Before Abraham was? Oh yes, it's obvious. They begin to scratch their head. You're not yet 50 years old. What are you talking about? Historically, Abraham was approximately 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. What are you even talking about? Jesus was speaking of his eternal existence. He was not speaking of his human existence there in time in 33 AD. He was talking about his eternal existence. The fact that he always has been. Jesus was speaking of his eternal essence. That's why he uses the term when he says before Abraham was... I am. Ego I me in the Greek. In the Hebrew, we know this. We, we get the term Yahweh. And we know when we see that word Yahweh, that is speaking of God. And Jesus is letting them know once again, I am God. I exist. I always have existed. I always will exist. He is the one in Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 that, that it says about him, the one who is and who was and who is to come. He is eternal God. And he's letting them know this. And many people will say at this point, well, well Kirk, is that really what he's saying? If it wasn't, why did they pick up the stone? The charge that they are going to bring against Jesus is the, the charge of blasphemy that he claimed to be God. And they reached down to pick up the stones because Jesus was not mixing words here. It was not some code. He let them know, I am God and I know what's going on in your unbelieving heart and I am confronting you with the truth and if you don't trust in me, you will perish and not experience forgiveness and eternal life. So in all reality, they revealed that they truly hate God. And they wanted to rid the world of Him. Because doesn't God really, at the end of the day, cramp our sinful lifestyles? We live in a world who doesn't have room for God. And unfortunately, because they don't have room for God, they don't have room for Christ. And so, if they don't have room for Christ, here's what they do. They completely deny Him or they recreate Him into something or someone who He is not. That is what they have been trying to do. And Jesus is confronting them. No, I am not a Samaritan who is possessed by a demon. I am God in flesh, just as John 1.14 says. 
I'm God in flesh who came to this earth. I am sovereign creator of all. The invisible God made visible in flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune Godhead. I am here and I am telling you absolute truth. And if you don't believe this absolute truth, you will perish. We get to the deity of Jesus Christ. So many times, so-called believers get bored with the idea. Well, what difference does it make? (laughs) It makes all the difference. If Jesus Christ is not God, He is not Savior. That is not what His apostles testified. Remember Thomas when Jesus walked into the room and Thomas finally saw His nail-scarred hands and His nail-scarred feet, and He said, My God and My Savior. He testified that Jesus truly is God. It's important. Why? Because cults have been started for eons and false religions for eons and false teachings for eons, and they've all been started with the premise that Jesus Christ is not truly God. And if He's not truly God, then His words are just optional. But His words are not optional. His words are truth. And if you deny the truth of Jesus Christ, you deny the Father as well. You say, well, that seems like a pretty big statement to say. I'll make it even more clear for you. If you reject Jesus, you reject God completely. Oh, well, I I think it's okay just to believe in God without believing in Jesus. So do the demons. They tremble because they know the judgment that awaits them. Many people in our society have settled for, I believe in God because you heard that was the thing to do when you listened to some beer drinking country song one day. When he was out on a pier having a beer with Jesus or whatever in the world he was doing. And so you believe that kind of rhetoric that all you have to do is believe in God and just live any way that you want to live. And that is not true at all. That is why Jesus is revealing to them once again who He is. Because He's calling them to account. My prayer is this, that God would call some of you to account today as He did in my life many, many years ago as I sat in that church and He called me to account and He showed me that I am a sinner and that I am a wreck and that I have no hope without Him and that my faith was false and I had false assurance and I would have split hell wide open had He not graciously intervened in my life and I pray today that you would cry out to Him to graciously intervene in your life and to save your wretched soul. Jesus revealed to them Who He really is. Because He knew this. That if they rejected Him, and they rejected the Father that they claimed to know. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 says this, Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. These people were so deceived, thinking that because they believed in God, and in fact they had only really believed in a God, the God that they believed in was no more the God of the Old Testament than I am the man in the moon. They had lost their way. In fact, Jesus let them know that. You don't know God because you still have murder in your heart 
toward me. That word no is an intimate word. He's saying this, you don't have an intimate relationship with God. Oh, you know about God. Many of you are here today and you will spend an eternity in hell knowing about God, but not knowing God. Because the only way that you can know God is through the precious blood of His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy One who came to this earth as a man, fully God, fully man, to redeem sinners of which I am the worst. That they would be acceptable to a holy God. That they would be made right in their standing with their holy Creator. Jesus is not afraid to confront them with the fact that they don't believe that He is God. He says it one more time. Ego, I me. I am who I am. I am the eternal God in flesh standing before you, and you are denying it once again. To which they picked up stones and sought to kill Him. But isn't it interesting that He proved His case when he did not allow them to do it because he is sovereign God over all. He just mysteriously escaped. Why? Because it was not yet time in his plan. So what do we do with this? What do we do? How do we wrap this up? How do we conclude this? Let's ask this question. Why did Jesus confront these men? What is the whole point of this? Why did he confront these men with the truth? Write this down, because they were believing lies. Oh, what love he showed. They were believing lies. He could have just said, oh, well, they want to believe lies. Let them believe lies. But in his common love, the general love that he has for all mankind, even the sinners who desire to stone him, he still points them to the truth, knowing that they were believing lies. Now the responsibility rests on them, doesn't it? They were believing lies and he pointed them to the truth. They were held captive to their sin and their unbelief. And you know what he did? He pointed them to the truth. Oh, we're so afraid to do that in modern times, aren't we? Well, if, I, if I show someone that the lifestyle that they are living is sinful and it's in opposition to God and His holiness, if I show them that, they might get offended and they might hate me. They might. They might actually pick up stones and try to kill you right there on the spot and maybe eventually crucify you on a cross. The Savior endured that so that the redeemed could be redeemed, didn't He? We're worried about people being offended by the truth. The confrontational Jesus gave them the truth. He let them know you're held captive by your unbelief and you must be set free. Remember just several verses ago, we learned that if the Son sets us free, we're free indeed. Oh, Jesus was preaching to them freedom from the captivity of sin once again and unbelief. Why did Jesus confront them? They were believing lies. Why did Jesus confront them? They, they, held, they were held captive by their sin and their unbelief. Why did Jesus confront them? They were still refusing to see who Jesus really is. He was revealing truth to them. Do we know anyone that lives around us who needs to hear the truth? Do we know anyone around us who is believing lies? Do we know anyone around us who is... Repeating those lies? Do we know anyone around us who is held captive by their sin and their unbelief? Do we know anyone around us who's still refusing to see who Jesus really is? Well, sure we do. 
But we have been indoctrinated to this non-confrontational type of Christianity, which is not Christianity at all. Jesus here confronts their unbelief. Jesus here confronts their sin. And before you use the cop out and say, yeah, but I'm not Jesus. No, you're not. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, you will see Jesus as the model for how you are to live your life. And this is a great model of how we are to confront the unbelief and the sin of this world. Why did Jesus confront these men? They were believing lies. And he is true. They were being held captive by their unbelief, and He is freedom. They were still refusing to see who He really is. He is God, and He wanted them to see that truth. Why must we do the same in our lives? Why must we point this lost and wicked and dying world to the truth of Jesus Christ? Why must we do that? Because God has commissioned us to do that. But my grandma said we should never talk about politics and religion. She was half right. Talk about true religion. And point them to the only true religion, which is found in Jesus Christ. And it is by grace, through faith in Him and Him alone. And I promise you, you won't have to worry about their politics. They'll all straighten themselves out. Why do we need to rediscover the confrontational Jesus in our day. Because the lost world needs the truth. Do they not? Those of you who are saved here today, did you need the truth even without knowing it? Sure you did. The lost world needs the truth. Secondly, the lost world needs to be set free from the blindness of their unbelief. The only way that they're going to be set free from the blindness of their unbelief is to see the truth. Week after week, I encourage you, go out and be the light. Shine the light of Jesus Christ in the darkness. Why? Expose the deceit. Expose the the blindness of the lost world so that they can see the light of Jesus Christ. The lost world needs to be set free from their blindness just as I once did, just as you once did. And the lost world needs to see that God came to this earth. God came to this earth as Jesus Christ, the Son. And He came to this earth to die on a cross as a perfect sacrifice. It had to be God. He is the only one without spot and without blemish. And He came to die as a perfect sacrifice to wash completely, to wash completely the sin from the wicked sinner. And He and He alone promises. If you'll trust by faith in what He did by dying on the cross, by being buried, by rising again from the grave, if you will by faith truly trust in that wholeheartedly even this very day, you will be saved. You will turn from your sin and you will turn to Christ never to turn away from Him again. Completely forgiven, completely washed of all of your past sin. Longing and waiting for the promise of eternal life that only Jesus can give. Will you be saved today? Will you be saved today? Maybe week after week, you're the one who squeezes the chair knowing 
that you need Christ. Today, will you cry out to Him in desperation? Cry out to Him that He would save your wretched soul. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Be saved today. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We pray for those who are here who do not know Christ. Lord, we pray right now that according to Your will, by Your grace, through the power of Your Spirit, God, that You would draw sinners to repentance even now. That You would give them the faith to believe and trust in Jesus Christ and to receive the eternal life that You paid for them to have. Lord, I pray for that person who as they have examined their life today, according to Your Word, and they have realized that their claim is not consistent with what comes out of their life. God, I pray that You use this revelation to bring them to faith and repentance, crying on Jesus to save them and rescue them today. Lord, I pray for the believers who are here, that we would rejoice in our Savior as we pray for those who are in need of Him. We pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name and in accordance with His will. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the dark.